0: Another episode of the Crazy Chief Podcast. I'm your host, Big Tom Perkins, along with Dr. Cameron Miley. And again, today we're doi- joined by uh, Dr. Andrew Weaver. We're going to continue our discussion on EBVs. And uh, so, what EBVs are we talking about there, Cam?
1: So, today I think we're going to get into your know, fecal egg count uh, EBVs or parasite resistance uh, EBVs and and what those traits are, and how we're selecting for them, maybe some of how they're evaluated. So the two EBVs on that list of uh, selectable EBVs would be weaning fecal egg count and post-weaning fecal egg count, or uh, W FEC and P FEC. Uh, so Andrew, thanks again for joining us. This has been a lot of fun. I know for us, and hopefully uh, you guys listening at home or in the car have, have enjoyed this and Uh, as always, if you don't understand something or have additional questions, reach out and we can hopefully touch on that in the future. But uh, Andrew, if you want to just give a synopsis, I know a lot of your uh, PhD work there at West Virginia University dealt with kind of the validation of these breeding values uh,
2: and and talk maybe a little bit about that side of things. Yeah, um, thanks for having me back. It's always uh, great to be on the podcast and uh, appreciate the opportunity um you know today's topic is one that's of particular interest to me i uh, spent quite a bit of time working with it and and uh, still do um quite a bit so um, when we're thinking about fecal egg counts and and really what we're the, the kind of the root of this is, is parasite resistance right um you know we're trying to breed sheep that are more parasite resistant and fecal egg counts are the best metric uh that we have to do that um and so that's probably a, a topic for another day to get uh into the weeds there but uh, uh we think about uh, selection for true parasite resistance uh fecal egg count uh is the number one trait that we have available right now to do that uh and fortunately we have a breeding value available to us through nsip uh, that allows us to select those individuals that have the genetic merit uh to decrease fecal egg count um, and subsequently you know um Improve parasite resistance. So, um, you know, and i'm just to as a reference point, um, when I talk about lowering fecal egg count, um, you know, that's synonymous with improving parasite resistance. So, um, you know, to get greater parasite resistance, we need to decrease fecal egg count. Lower fecal egg counts associated with uh, fewer adult worms in the gut, um, and fewer adult worms in the gut means that animal was able to, uh, you know, hopefully fight off that infection and minimize uh, establishment of those worms. And so, we're using fecal egg count as an indicator trait. Um, to to quantify uh, parasite resistance in those animals. So if we're going to get into the weeds just
1: slightly, just tiptoe into the weeds briefly, without a full blown uh, immunology discussion, when we're talking about parasite resistance, you know
2: what what are we actually selecting for? Yeah, so um, you know I hear the terms thrown around a lot: resilience versus resistance, um, and we probably need to define those real quick um your resilience is the ability for that an individual um, to continue um to maintain a level of productivity uh in spite of a parasite infection or parasite exposure and so a lot of times those are like our more mature use uh, They're animals that may have you know great famacha scores no need to deworm them um but they may be shedding eggs all over our pastures uh which you know then younger more susceptible animals could then pick up and have a serious problem with and so resilience is great for the individual itself that individual is healthy they're fine uh, not a big deal uh, unless they're stressed uh, and then we may have problems um, but really resilience um it's great for the individual it potentially uh, it could be a problem for other individuals in the environment other um, animals in that that pasture on that farm uh, resistance when we talk about resistance we're really talking about the those individuals or the ability of for an individual Um, to recognize and respond to a parasite infection um, and prevent or eliminate uh, establishment of adult worms. And consequently, you don't have adult worms, you don't have eggs in a fecal sample. Uh, And so by selecting for animals with lower fecal egg counts, we're selecting individuals. There's a relationship, obviously, you know, more adult worms, higher fecal egg count. So if we're selecting individuals with lower fecal egg counts, those individuals should have fewer adult worms in their gut which means, hopefully, uh, in theory, those animals are more parasite resistant. Remember, this is all done within contemporary groups. So we're evaluating these traits in animals that were all grazed on the same pastures at the same time and given the same opportunity for infection. That's a critical part of this. Um, Those animals have to be challenged. They need to be exposed and have the opportunity to be infected uh, with those parasites, and everyone in that group needs to have an equal opportunity um, so that we can evaluate those that, have those lower fecal counts that prevented parasite infection relative to those that may be allowed an infection to take place. So when we're thinking about parasite resistance, certainly there's some
1: breeds that come to mind. And, uh, you know, I'd I'd say as all Katahdin enthusiasts, we've heard, you know, the claim that Katahdin sheep are, you know, inherently parasite resistant, and I think are parasite resistant. uh, And I think a lot of times that's used as a marketing tool um, uh, you know, are there any comments on that or kind of your thought on uh generalized resistant, parasite resistant animals being within a certain breed? And are there are there breeds that, that is true to say?
2: Yeah, so you're on. Uh, that's probably one of my pet peeves. Um, um I you know, you hear a lot like, you know, buy my sheep, they're parasite resistant, or buy this breed or that breed because they're parasite resistant. Um and it just kind of makes me cringe inside. Um, because most of our breeds, uh, that would be an incorrect statement. Um, there are a few, there's a couple exceptions. Um, generally, our breeds of Caribbean origin are St. Croix or Barbados Blackbellies. Uh, they're very resistant breeds. Um, the breed where they're from, um, if they're not parasite resistant, they're dead. Uh, so, natural selection um, has identified a population um, in those breeds uh, that is very resistant. You can buy just about any St. Croix sheep, and they're going to be very parasite resistant. Um, a lot of our, our terminal sire breeds tend to be more susceptible, although um, I'm not going to blanket label them as completely susceptible either, because we know that um, in Suffolk sheep, we're, we're, getting, we're seeing some variation in fecal egg counts in Suffolk sheep. Um, in Texel sheep, we see variations in fecal count in Texel sheep. Um, so generally, those breeds are a little bit more susceptible, especially as we compare them um, to maybe a St. Croix, obviously. Um, But those breeds, even within those breeds, there's opportunities uh, for selection towards lower fecal egg counts and improved parasite resistance. And so the vast majority of our breeds um, fall into that category where there's um, a lot of variation within breed. And oftentimes, as with many other traits, there's more variation uh, within a single breed than there is is variation between breeds. And so uh, what I mean by that is, you know, I'll use Katata's for an example. Um, I can find Katahdin sheep that are as parasite-resistant as a St. Croix. I can also find Katahdin sheep that are as parasite-susceptible as you know, our most susceptible Suffolk sheep. Uh, and so if we're not careful, if we just blanket label Katahdins as parasite-resistant, if we're not actually quantifying that trait, um, and I just go out and buy any Katahdin because they're a Katahdin, um, I may end up with an animal that's very susceptible to parasitism. I might get lucky and find one that's resistant, um, but I, I also have a chance of finding that a susceptible individual. So. Um, you know, data collection quantifying this trait um, is is very important so that we can identify those parasite resistant individuals within a breed that is known to be more parasite resistant than average. So, you know, Tom, have you seen any there? Um, we
1: have talked before on on your grazing scheme. Have you seen any within the breed or within your subset of sheep that? that kind of show themselves or lend themselves to that more susceptible side. And then there's those that are kind of hands off and perform more like a Croy.
0: Oh yeah, definitely. You know, we pull, uh on all these lambs and we've got some that are just terrible. There's, they're just loaded with, you know, with, with parasite eggs. And, uh, and then we have some, what kind that of range are really clean. What's that? What kind of
1: ranges are you seeing in those? Since you're actually pulling fecal egg counts, what kind of ranges are you seeing?
0: Not as bad as what I've heard some people say. I think our highest was only like 8,600, which is pretty high. But I've heard I've heard numbers way higher than that before. And you know, our highs
2: will be over 10,000.
0: Yeah, and then we'll get some that you know are just zero or you know 50 or 60 or you know. Something What's the high. group average? Or what was uh, it this summer? Oh, we haven't pulled them yet this summer. Okay, we're still waiting. So last summer, we our, our average was like five sixty one or something like that. So I know they always say you want to be close to that five hundred average, so that you're sure you're you're getting a good representation across that across that flock.
1: Yeah, and and so you would mentioned uh, you haven't pulled them yet, so those would be post weaning. Fecal egg count mm-hmm. values, right. or that sampling time. Um, when we're thinking about, you know, the two, the two EBVs, we have a weaning fecal egg count and a post weaning fecal egg count. Uh, kind of, what are our date ranges on that, and is there one that's better than another, or are they correlated enough that uh, we can draw some conclusions from from one to the other?
2: Yeah, so the, those traits they are um, they are correlated. Obviously, if you have higher fecal egg counts at weaning, um, you're going to probably have higher fecal egg counts at post weaning. Um, although you do see some exceptions, um, I've seen some sheep that may have a negative breeding value at uh, fecal count mm-hmm. breeding value at weaning, and then it's positive post weaning. Um, so there's a little bit of variation there. Obviously, um, one trade's quantifying parasite resistance, um, you know, in that weaning time period. So. Um, You know, they have some help from mom um, and it's early life, um, you know, type response to parasitism uh, relative to, you know, post weaning people I count is going to be, you know, two months, three months, maybe four months post weaning. Um, That's really quantifying, you know, can that animal handle it on their own? Uh, Without mom's assistance there, um, you know, they've probably probably by that point, they've seen parasites a few times. So have they been able to develop um, an, an adequate immune response so that Um, They can fight off that parasite infection all on their own. Um, And so they are correlated, um, but there is a little bit of variation between the two.
1: So just for an example, you know, you guys are pulling weaning fecal egg counts at uh, NC State, correct? Correct. What type of uh, fecal egg count levels are you seeing on those weaned lambs or just at that kind of 60-day mark?
2: Yeah, so uh, that's a good question, um, and I think it's going to vary for a lot of folks, depending, um, probably, varies largely on geographically where you're at. Um, uh, for us, uh, historically, um, I would say every year until this year, uh, we've weaned. Um, we have February 15 kind of average lambing date. Um, we wean around April 15, um, April 15 to April 20. Um, Those animals are out on pasture as soon as we have grass, um, generally, you know, early to mid-March. And we will run average fecal egg counts um, somewhere in that 1,000 to 1,500 egg per gram range. Um, And and I consider that pretty good, um, especially for that early in the season. Um, We are, you know, relatively far south. Um, I know other producers that are even further south than us um, that have even higher averages that early in the year um I say up till this year this year we we changed our timing up a little bit we lamb just uh, a week or two later uh we weaned May 1st um and we also incorporated um some annual forages into our production uh, system and we talked about that on the previous podcast um we actually struggled quite a bit to get a significant enough infection for it to really be meaningful this year um at weaning um just because those animals I, I don't know if it was the grass I don't know if it was the year or the weather. Um, I don't know if it was the genetics that we utilized this year. Um, I can't pull out one or another. Um, but all I can say is our, our average fecal counts were very low this year. I'm at weaning.
1: And we could speculate that that annual forage, kind of a changing of environment for the worm population, would could be the greatest cause of that. Uh, at least that would be my thought. and And that's, I think, one of the biggest struggles people have with looking at these EBVs and having a degree of confidence in them is—it's so dependent on environment. You know, we're not just dealing with with performance of the lamb; we require that parasite and that biological cycle uh, for that animal for for the for the uh, nematode to go through. That we're dependent on a secondary organism uh, to give us the data. That we need to collect, um, and and so timeline. You know, we're looking at sixty days, roughly in that range for weaning fecal egg count, on post weaning fecal egg count. Uh, you know, if you were weaning there in in April or the first of May, your post weaning fecal egg counts would then be pulled, you know, sometime this summer.
2: Correct. Right. You want to at least absolute minimum of thirty days um, after. Your weaning fecal a counts are taken, and also if you do have to deworm, um, remember deworming is going to um, disrupt that contemporary group because that animal has a low. If you deworm one or two animals, their low fecal a count is a result of the dewormer; it's not a result of their genetics. Um, and so we need to wait. the The recommendation is that we wait at least thirty days after the last deworming, at least, um, before taking another fecal uh, sample to be utilized for analysis. Uh, so. Um, At least 30 days, probably 60 days is better after that weaning fecal to take your post-weaning fecal um, to get a little bit of spread there. Um, So keep that in mind. Um, Another recommendation that that is often given, um, you know, fecal egg counts are not the the cheapest trait to measure, obviously. Um, A weight trait, you run them across, you've purchased the scale at some point, and you can run thousands of sheep across that scale um, before it breaks and you have to buy a new one. Uh, fecal egg counts you're paying for for every fecal for every sample that you collect. Um, there are low cost fecal egg counts provided um, by three institutions. Um, those uh, that information is available on the wormx.info website, um, and so I encourage you to check that out. Uh, they're five to seven dollars per sample, which is dirt cheap compared to what a veterinarian will charge you, um, and they will quantify fecal egg counts so that you can use that for genetic analysis. They will not diagnose. Uh, disease, uh, they'll just quantify fecal egg counts so that you can submit that to NSIP. Um, so I encourage you to use that resource um, if you're interested. Um, but that said, if you're going to spend five to seven dollars per sheep uh, that you're going to submit a, a sample on, um, you gotta you want to make sure that it's meaningful. I'd hate to collect do all that work to collect samples, send them in, pay five dollars a sample, and then them all come back zero um, and not you know I say I'll come back zero. That would be great. I, my sheep aren't infected. That's wonderful, but uh, i don't have a i don't have a significant enough infection at that point for it to really be useful for genetic evaluation because like tom said we need at least 500 eggs per gram contemporary group average uh, and so one recommendation is uh wait until you need it wait until there's a few sheep in your your contemporary group that require deworming. Uh and so just hold off on collecting a fecal and just watch famacha scores um, and as you get later on into the spring and into the summer um, if you start seeing, you know, maybe one, two, three, five sheep that, that are showing a little bit more anemia, maybe as threes, um, you know, that tells you that those sheep have been exposed to parasites. There's something going on in their gut, um, and now is probably a safe time to collect a fecal on the entire population and send that in. And your chance of success, your chance of having a high enough uh, contemporary group average um, is better in that scenario. So that might be one trick that might be useful. Uh, to make sure you have high enough counts. So, when
1: we're talking about contemporary groups and contemporary group averages, when we're thinking about the fecal egg count EBV and knowing that we have animals on both sides of the spectrum for uh, positive and negative values, why is that, uh, that 500 egg per gram value so important? And how is that being calculated to give us an animal that is uh, negative? You know, what does that negative number show us? Uh,
2: from a quantitative standpoint. Yes, that's that's a loaded question. Um, so I'll first get out like the the need for a challenge. Um, you know, why do we need? Why do we say that we need at least 500 eggs per gram? Wouldn't it be great if all of our sheep were zero? I mean, that's the perfect scenario, right? We turn sheep out to grass; they're out on grass all summer. We do a fecal, and they're all zero. They they have no infection. I think that's what we all strive for someday. And some um, people are doing it. Some people are already there um, or really close um and that's i mean that is wonderful i mean that's what all of the rest of us um you know hope that we can get to at some point we would love to be able to turn sheep out on grass and never worry about them and for parasites to not be a non-issue for us um, because we've utilized genetics to be able to get them to a point where they don't require you know any deworming assistance etc um but unfortunately for most of us that we're not there yet um and so um we need to to deal with this this fecal count of zero. Uh, and what does a fecal count of zero really mean? Um, and it can, it can potentially mean two things. Um, one is that, and, and this is the you know, ideal scenario, um, they're a fecal count of zero because they have uh, genetic resistance to internal parasites. They, they have the immune system, they have the genetics that they need to fight off and completely eliminate, prevent the establishment of those parasites. And that's great. Um, but it could also mean if we have that fecal count kind of zero, it could also mean that they were never exposed to worms in the first place. Um, if they're never exposed, they're never challenged. They're going to have a fecal account kind of zero, but it's not because they have the genetics to resist an infection. It's just because they were never exposed. They never had the chance to be infected. Um, you know, had they been exposed, maybe they would be super uh, infected, super susceptible. So. Um, we need to be able to sort that out and that's really where that fecal egg count the average of 500 comes into play uh, we need to ensure that our sheep were adequately challenged we need to make sure that as a group um as a group of lambs out there grazing that they had the opportunity to be infected um and so we we say 500 people like egg, 500 eggs per gram uh is an average uh that would tell us that okay these sheep they've been exposed they've had the opportunity to be infected some sheep did get infected. Uh, Some sheep may not have gotten infected, um, but at least those that that did not get infected, they had the opportunity to be infected, and they just, they had the genetics to be able to fight off that infection. Uh, And so, you know, obviously a higher average um, is maybe even better uh, because it tells us that there is that much more exposure, and we can really sort out those that are resistant from susceptible, um, but 500 is where we like to start. Um, If your entire group is zero, um, you know, we... They may all be parasite resistant, but they could just as well be all parasite susceptible and just not exposed, um, if that makes sense. Um, So once we have that average, then we can start identifying who's below average and who's above average and start sorting out those positives and negatives. Who's going to decrease fecal account? Who's going to increase fecal account?
1: And from an NSIP data collection standpoint, I know, Tom, you and I have had a lot of discussions on... uh, kind of some mismanagement or or overgrazing some areas on purpose so you know you need as andrew mentioned you know you need a parasite infection in those lambs we want to see differences so you know you've gone as far as purposefully infecting those lambs or purposefully managing those lambs in a fashion to ensure that there is an infection so that the the cost of that data collection doesn't go to waste. Uh, And so maybe, do you mind speaking to that point?
0: Yeah, we we would take the whole flock um, and put them on what we would typically graze for one day. And we'll graze for two days or a day and a half. Um, And then we'll go back to our regular grazing. And we'll come back to that area at 30 days with just those lambs. And have them graze that, and basically overgraze it again, with the idea that they're picking up all those uh, those L3 larvae that are in there, and uh, putting as, as many of those you know in their gut as possible. And then we wait uh, two to three weeks as soon as we start to see some signs of bottle jaw, and then we get them all gathered up and start pulling those those fecal samples, and as soon as we pull those fecal samples though we worm everybody because we're not we're not taking a chance of losing anybody so that's the only time we'll ever do a just a blanket worming across everyone and uh we've been sending those into virginia tech and getting that information back but that's purposely you know trying to make sure that they're getting infected
2: yeah, and I would say, I mean, there, I think there's a, a couple of folks like you, Tom, that are, are doing similar things to try to get lambs infected. Um, I think it's probably worth noting that, um, you know, practices like that are probably you know, maybe reserved for our seed stock producers like Tom, um, like a few other folks. Um, you know, people that have quite a bit of experience um, with raising sheep and, and parasite rich environments that have been, um, you know, active in NSIP and really trying to um, identify those parasite resistant individuals um but i think um if some of you maybe are a little bit more new to, to nsip or new to sheet production in general um feel free to reach out with questions um, on getting some of this information collected um i'd hate i hate for you to have you know, more severe health consequences um, by putting lands into that type of of scenario um, although I, I do realize that you know if you want Good data sometimes, um, you know, for NSIP and to get these breeding values, um, sometimes we resort to those types of, of methods. And even after our ryegrass experience this spring, I'm almost like, oh man, I might need to do something similar next year uh, to make sure our lambs get infected. Um you know, it, it's a double edged sword. It's like it's I, not for the pain of heart. Exactly. And the
1: other thing too, you have to think, you know, Tom's invested time and energy on the genetic side of things to breed sheep that are more resistant. And so, uh, whereas, you know, the everyday producer might need to uh, just continue with their improved management and still have a parasite problem, mm-hmm. I think it's a testament to, uh, you know, selection of those EBVs that you now have to go out of your way to mismanage those animals. I know it's killing you to graze that paddock for more than one day.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And, you, <laughs> and, but you're doing it to collect the data. And so that's a great point, Andrew. The, um, it, it isn't for the faint of heart and it's a very specific reason for the mismanagement.
2: Um, it- I can, just from it, I mean, my experience, when I started here um, in my current position, we had a flock of, a small flock of Katahdin They were not in NSIP, no real selection for parasite resistance other than, you know, survival of the fittest. Um, and it was not hard to get those sheep infected. Um, and so I would say, if, you, if you're new, if you're interested in, in collecting some of this information, um, you know, go through a year or two, collect fecal egg counts, do weaning fecals, post-weaning fecals. Um, just keep managing as you would normally manage and as you should manage for good sheep and forage health. Um, collect those fecals at the appropriate time points and see what they come out as. Um, and more than likely, um, my bet would be that uh, those sheep are adequately infected. Um, you know, if you if you're collecting those fecals, you know, early to midsummer, um, or when you know when a few of them need deworming, collect the fecal, you're probably going to have adequate numbers. Um, now, five, 10 years from now, as you if you determine that fecal egg count's a really important trait to select for, and you continue to select for it generation after generation, um, and you get those super low negative eighty, negative ninety, negative one hundred fecal egg count EBVs, uh, when you get to that point you know maybe we need to come back and revisit uh, some of the stuff we, we just talked about in terms of maybe challenging those sheep a little bit harder to sort out those minute differences and in, in parasite susceptibility once our flock average um becomes you know quite resistant
1: yeah and while we're talking about averages for the katahdin breed and those that are collecting data average weaning fecal egg count is negative 31. you know average post-winning fecal egg count is negative 28 so can you speak to what that negative means you know what does it mean when i'm looking at a sale catalog and somebody's offering sheep that are that are negative 80 which would be in the top five percent of the breed for parasite resistance Um, obviously and i think we've already touched on this we want more negative animals Uh, i know Our EAPK kind of rundown, uh, Dr. Bowdrich had a a talk in there about uh, selecting for parasite resistance without impacting our other economically relevant traits. And so uh, certainly we don't want a single trait select for parasite resistance. We'd like sheep that, that still grow and perform in our production system, but we can make a lot of advances or a lot of advancement in selecting for parasite resistance. As well as our other, you know, relevant traits. So, you know, what does that negative value mean? Uh, and what are we selecting for?
2: Yeah. So, um, when this breeding value was developed, um, the the units um, were, uh, or the units that it is currently calculated is that it was originally calculated in um, is a percentage, as a percent change. Um, so, I know we measure fecal counts and eggs per gram, um, but in the the calculation. Um, and the generation of these breeding values it's converted to a, a percent change um and so when you see like negative 30 or negative 100 or positive 50 um, you can put a percentage um behind that um and so it'd be a, a decrease of like a negative 30 would be a decrease of 30 percent. and negative 100 would be a decrease of 100 um, percent. obviously you can't reduce something more than a hundred percent 100 reduction in something it's completely getting rid of that thing so um, those are the most parasite resistant individuals in the population. The fecal a fecal count, uh, EBV of negative 100 means they eliminate that parasite infection. They should have close to a zero fecal a count. Um, um, you now those are going to be their most parasite resistant animals. Um, on the other side of things, um, you know, any remember it's relative differences too. So it's not, um, you know, we're not saying that a negative 30 is going to have a fecal a count of 500 eggs. Per gram every time we're saying a negative 30, the difference between a negative 30 and a negative 100 um, is 70%. Um, so it's going to be a percent change. Um, and so um, we're really just looking at relative percent differences um, in fecal egg counts in our sheep populations. Obviously, negative values are good, negative values indicate a decrease um, in fecal egg count, uh, but keep in mind the breed average is around 30, negative 30. Um, So if you're above a negative 30, uh, you're actually, your sheep are more, or that individual is more susceptible um, or is going to have higher fecal egg counts than the average uh, of the Katahdin breed.
1: Right. And, and kind of the validation of that again, what was the spread like, or just, uh, could you give us a rundown of what that project looked like and, and really, why do we need to validate this uh, type of data and what does it, what type of confidence should it instill for our producers, whether commercial or seed stock, uh, in that selection?
2: Yeah. So, um, some of my graduate work, uh, WVU was was validating the fecal count breeding value, and uh, we took five rams with extremely low fecal count breeding values, um, and then we took five rams with extremely high fecal count breeding values, um, and so the spread on those rams was over three hundred percent um in fecal egg count uh, EBB. Uh, so we took those rams and we randomly bred them to a group of ewes. So no selection on the female side, um just randomly took those ewes, put them in breeding groups with those rams, um, and then evaluated their offspring. Um and as we would expect, the lambs that are sired by low fecal egg count rams have lower fecal egg counts than lambs sired by high fecal egg count. So I mean long as short it works Uh, If you breed to low fecal egg count rams, you're going to have lower fecal egg counts in those offspring, um, you know, compared to breeding to a higher fecal egg count ram. Um, And more has come out of that as time has gone on. Um, And I think um, Dr. Bowdridge uh, may be able to uh, provide more detail on that um, into the future here. Um, And if any of you have been to uh, any of his talks recently, I think that's some pretty fascinating stuff that has grown out of um, our divergent mating scheme with fecal egg counts um that we've we've developed over the last five six years um but every year I mean it my project was just two years uh, of random uh select random breeding um and we saw those differences and it's been in year three and year four and year five and year six every year we have this beautiful spread in fecal egg count with the high fecal egg count sired lambs being high higher fecal egg counts low fecal egg count sired lambs having lower fecal egg counts um, there's there's never been a year where it's it's not worked out um, with you know averages that trend in in the direction that they're supposed to.
1: And I would definitely say you know seeing those sheep and kind of the theme of having these uh, you know genetic discussions you know, here on the grazing sheep podcast has been just knowing what you're buying you know having a full picture of what genetics you're investing in uh, I mean there were, Rams in that study that were extraordinarily high, you're truly outliers for fecal egg count breeding values, uh, but through phenomenal looking lambs. I mean, by far, you know, some of, well, the best Katahdin looking sheep in that trial, and I'd argue uh, would be very acceptable to a lot of uh, Katahdin producers, regardless of what your your end goal is, whether it's the show ring or, or commercial production, uh, and it just goes to show, you know, that ram might be beautiful, and and he might be producing lambs that are exceptional for growth, are exceptional, exceptional for uh, phenotype, and, and a lot of other traits. Uh, but without that numeric, that quantitative look at uh, what he's actually providing to the lamb crop, uh, you know, those lambs may not make it in in Virginia, North Carolina, uh, Ohio in a bad year uh, when exposed to a parasite infection.
2: Yeah, and I think you, you mentioned a good point right there. Um, we don't, negative 100 fecal like breed values are great, but we probably don't all need to have negative 100s. Um, this trait, like you know, many others, is you know, optimizing may be ideal. Um, if, Cam, if I'm you in Ohio or Tom in Pennsylvania, um, a negative 50 might be sufficient but that it's going to vary some operations negative 50 might be sufficient others might need a negative 80. um and that's that's for you to sort it out and you know utilize um you know some of those genetics and see what works and what doesn't and kind of figure out where that that optimal is um if i live in south georgia a negative 100 is probably the only option i have uh, if i don't have a negative 100 they're probably not going to live through the summer um, and so that's where we have to understand see in our environment, our parasite burden, what they're gonna be exposed to and, um, you know, find the genetics that work for us in our environment. And that's, that's gonna vary. I don't wanna sit here and say that, you know, everyone in the country has to have a negative 100. Maybe they do, um, but that's, I think, for, for you all to, to sort out in your own operations and uh, kind of figure out where that, that optimal point is, um, you know, for, for this trait, as well as, you know, many others.
0: Yep, that's absolutely true. Well, we're coming up on our time here, guys, and uh, it's been great catching up with you guys and and uh, really enjoying going into these EVVs and what all they entail. Uh, so we thank you for listening to the podcast. If you want to reach out to us, you can do that uh, by contacting me at BigTomPerkins at com. There's a Facebook page. We'd like you to go on there and find the Grazing Sheep podcast and like and follow and all that fun stuff. Leave us some comments, ask us some questions. So, uh, you guys have a good evening, and uh, we'll probably catch up with you at Expo. Sounds good, Tom. Looking forward to it. Thanks for having
2: me on again.
0: You bet. We'll see you now. Bye.